you took a look at 100% of businesses, I bet you just 5% of them are entrepreneurs because most people are business owners. And there's nothing wrong with being a business owner if that's what you like. But to be an entrepreneur, you really have to learn how to work on your business. And you've heard this, working on versus in it. But when you understand what it is to work on your business, then you're truly becoming an entrepreneur. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. Hey, can you do me a favor? While you're listening to this podcast, can you open a web browser and type in officialnatashamiller.com? Yes, this is my brand new website that I built for you. Entrepreneurs that want to scale and grow their businesses. It's packed full of information, articles, blog posts, podcasts, and also you can download the free Profit Finder Guide that helps you find more profit in your current business. You can get on the wait list for my digital course and be the first to know when my book, Relentless, is up for presale. Tony D. Silvestro has founded over 31 businesses and currently has over 450 employees. He is an award-winning entrepreneur, a successful real estate investor, franchise owner, and an internationally renowned business and leadership trainer. Now let's get right into it. Eight years old, I lived in the Jersey Shore and, you know, there was a bunch of people and every time when they would come off the beach, it would have to be like there's blocks and blocks of beaches and they would come to one street corner and when they come off the beach so i went down and i found a wholesale candy store and we bought a bunch of candy bars bubble yum set up a table and started selling candy bars and ice cream and all kinds of stuff from the people there and then it just grew from there just unbelievable you catch the bug that early I did. Yeah. You know, when you grow up on the Jersey Shore as a kid, it's like four months of hurry and eight months of worry. So your parents are all programmed to make money in four months. So from a little kid, that's all you know. Yeah. So fast forward to adulthood or pre-adulthood. What was your first real entrepreneurial business? The one where you actually had to get a business license? That was at 23, 23 years old. So I started my first, my own restaurant. So I've been in the restaurant business since I was 15 Then decided at 23 to take the leap. Found the location at 21, waited two years for it, and then decided, hey, it's time to jump. And I did it. So it was awesome. That's pretty ballsy for a young man. Yeah, I am from Jersey. It's easy. Okay. <laughs> and is this the same restaurant that you've had for years? Yeah, 28 years, years now, almost 29 years. And you still have it today. Oh, yeah. I have eight of them. So and then we're getting ready to open 100 locations right now. Yep. I loved the energy <clears throat> and the precision that you talked about in navigating all the businesses that you have when I heard you on Clubhouse. Right. So that leads me to the next question, which I really want to know the answer to. What is leading you to start so many business ventures? 31. That's yeah. past cereal. That's like... <laughs> Meaning serial entrepreneur, not I know what you mean. I know what you mean. What is going on over there? I'm just a, a de- I don't want to say crazy, but I'm a different individual. So I need massive stimulation in my life. I love when there's an opportunity, I'm always looking at it, just making sure it's kind of focused with what my core business is and just making sure they all align together. 
So it's been incredible to be able to put it all together, but I'm not one to write things down. And I really perform extremely well at 30 to 50,000 feet, I hire and delegate the right people below me, just making sure I'm always putting myself with the right teams. So I'm assuming you're using capital from various businesses that are running well and pushing that money out to the new endeavors. Are you taking venture capital or angel or anything? No, not at all. I'm pretty much self-funded at that point. You know, I started as a kid. My first restaurant got $50,000, bought a house, took another 50,000, bought another house, then sold one of those houses, bought two more houses, and then just kept multiplying. Most of my wealth came from real estate and just working my way through the processes. And now I'm in the commercial building, building 270,000 square feet office space. And so just uh, really where I'm moving. So you talked about all the businesses having sort of to have a core shared something with each other, but you're involved in lots of things that don't necessarily go together in my mind. I'm sure you can trace them for the listeners. So from a SaaS product to concrete houses, to developing (laughs) real estate, you know, Italian restaurant. See, the people don't realize that every business is the same business. We're all in the people business, right? So the one common thing that we all do together, we're all in business is 98.6 degrees, right? So we need human beings to be able to produce what we do. So if you can communicate and you can motivate people through process and procedure, then you can open up any business and they're all the same, right? So like people are like, how could you be a builder? Like, well, when I learned how to build a pizza, it's no different, right? So I'm taking a raw material and using it to build something. So construction is the same exact way. So then I go into my SaaS company and my training company and the same exact thing, right? I'm moving people, right? I'm letting people and employees have upper mobility and it's shown them a path to greatness. And that's been my whole life, so. Out of the 31, have there been businesses that you would admit to saying, wasn't a great fit, didn't work, lost it? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> what, you kidding me? What were they and what were some of the elements that made that not stick? One of them was a restaurant. And so what that was, was not paying attention enough to the demographics where the location was. You know, it was on a college campus. I thought it was the best thing. I said, this is going to be great. We're going to open up a little express unit right on campus. It's a captive audience. About eight months in, so man, why are we not busy? And come to find out my broker left out a very key item that there was 74% financial aid on the campus where average is about 24%. So these kids couldn't afford to eat. So they were getting free pizza all over campus at nine different locations and made a whole lot of sense, but a very costly mistake. So, but it was okay. It was the best thing that happened to me. And then one was a manufacturing facility and took a partner on. He was an amazing guy, unbelievable skills, had four kids, like no luck and decided I'm going to put this guy in business. Well, wasn't such a great move. The business was doing really, really well. We were distributing all over the whole state of Virginia. And, uh, but you know, he just started doing all kinds of crazy stuff and, the business started failing. And then when you're in manufacturing, you start depending and you put all your eggs in one basket in manufacturing. That couple of the bigger clients we had started losing their business and were traveling all over the state for this one account and they started closing. And so it was kind of interesting. And how did you learn the business of being in business? Because when you started a restaurant, you had some huts, but you had some stuff behind you. I don't know. Did you go to business <clears throat> school? I did. I was in economics, but I mean, really, when you're learning a business, you know, at first, as all entrepreneurs, we all start, we're all technicians, right? Yeah. So the first thing uh, we get in a business because we're great at one thing or we think we're great at one thing. We end up working in our businesses and it becomes a job. So there's very few entrepreneurs. 
if you took a look at 100% of businesses, I bet you just 5% of them are entrepreneurs because most people are business owners. And there's nothing wrong with being a business owner if that's what you like. But to be an entrepreneur, you really have to learn how to work on your business. And you've heard this, working on versus in it. But it's such a critical term. And I don't mind saying it because it really resonates with a lot of people. But when you understand what it is to work on your business, then you're truly becoming an entrepreneur. And there's different phases of it, right? We go from business owner to entrepreneur. It might take five years. It may take 10 years. But eventually we get there. It's interesting. When you see older people start businesses in their 50s and 60s, they typically have a better chance of being an entrepreneur than a business owner because they have life experience. I'm there. I actually recently figured out how to work on my core business while launching some other things. And the freedom is amazing. Had you told me eight years ago about this idea of working on and not in, I would have been flabbergasted. I wouldn't have understood why anyone would start a business to not work in it. Right. And it's just life experience and being in groups like EO and studying different business courses and being with other entrepreneurs, especially people that have 31 businesses that they've started, you get informed about what's possible and it changes your horizon. So I um, think though, probably my biggest mistake I've ever made in business. And I don't really talk about my mistakes. I have trouble with that. You know, I'm not that type of person, I'm an optimist, but my biggest mistake I ever made in business was not hiring a coach, having a coach at a young age. Because I think if I would have had a coach at a young age, I would have saved 10 years of my entrepreneurial life. I would have been an entrepreneur way faster. And I coach businesses, I speak, I do a lot of that. And that's like a whole nother business for me. It's the first thing I tell people. Like I was in class the other day with a bunch of kids at the campus. They asked me to speak. And the first two questions I always ask them, like, who wants to be an entrepreneur? They all raise their hand. I said, who loves to take a risk? They all raise their hand. I'm like, who likes to fail? One person raised their hand. I said, everybody get out of the room that didn't raise their hand <laughs> because they don't understand. I mean, you have to be able to accept failure as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs are great. Business owners are not great at failure. Entrepreneurs are phenomenal at failure. Yeah, that rebound is exhilarating. It's kind of like it a is. drug, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. It's your fork, you know? So. Well, let's talk about business coaching because one of the pieces of advice I give to people, new entrepreneurs, is to get educated, get a mentor, get an <clears throat> advisor, take the classes, the classes and the reading and the advisors. That is the shortcut. It is. But a business coach, that is something, that word, right? You think about coach coaching a team. What are they doing? They're showing you how to do drills and agility and practice and do it well and concentrated. So in your words, what is a great business coach and how would people find them? Frustrating term for me, right? So there's so many coaches out there that aren't really coaches. They shouldn't be coaching because they don't have the experience to coach. It's different if you want to coach mindset or something like that. But to actually be a pure business coach, you better be hiring a business coach that's done it, has been there. And I'm not bragging about it. I've been there. I've lost money. I have 400 employees. And so, I mean, when you're looking for a business coach, just find somebody that's done it, has been in the dirt before and really knows the grit. Because what you're doing is mistake avoidance. Mistake avoidance is critical. But how can a coach coach you on mistake avoidance if they've never made those mistakes? very, very difficult. So for me, like, you know, you go on apps like Clubhouse or something like this, and it drives me crazy because I'll start coaching or teaching and all of a sudden everybody gets silent. Like I'll ask a question and they just don't know what they're talking about. It's very, very difficult. So I think a lot of people get scammed hiring a coach because the coach doesn't know what they're doing. If you're a great salesperson, you can sell anybody. But if if you want to coach, that's talent. What would you say the difference between a coach an advisor 
and a teacher or a strategist does. I'm actually grappling with that myself. So I want to hear from you on a personal level. You have coaches and consultants, right? So this being a strategist is part of like who we are as business. I'm a strategist. This was that's the type of entrepreneur I am. I'm always high level, always high level thinking. But the difference between a consultant and a coach, somebody can coach you, but very few people can consult you. But if you can consult and coach, wow, huge advantage, right? So a lot of the coaches that you're on call, they may be coaches, but they can't consult you to success. And that's the difference for me. And for you, is coaching helping your client, leading them to discovering it on their own? I mean, you seem to be the kind of person that is like, here, here's the deal. This is it. And you wouldn't necessarily wait for me to get there. That's mm, tough, right? So being my personality, right? So the biggest thing that I've learned in maturity over the years is the, to listen more. So 20 years ago, I was running over people. I was constantly just, they wouldn't let them speak. And EO is kind of interesting for that because the Gestalt process, you know, you have to listen, you can't coach. And it actually helped me even more so, I mean, which I was already perfecting that skill. But so the biggest thing is I didn't realize when I was a little kid, and I'll tell you a little kid story for me. My stepfather used to sit me down and he'd bring the yellow pad and I had all these problems and he was just right, right, right. And all of a sudden, like he would just, give me the answer. And I'm like, God, this guy's brilliant. What I didn't realize is I gave him all the answers. And then all he did was articulate it back to me. And I think that's what coaching is, is really listening because, you know, it's their vision, it's their process, it's their procedure. All your job is to do is to tweak it and make it even better. Give them that little nugget that's going to make their process and procedure or business better. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you personally, but thank yeah. you for the listeners. No doubt. So, this is kind of a pivot, but which space that you work in is most challenging in business to run? Real estate, franchises. I know that that can include F&B, SaaS. Like- I mean, restaurants by far, no doubt. I mean, you'll hear so many people, to be honest with you, say the restaurant business is the hardest business in the world. And it's only because we depend on so many people. In my construction business, I have no employees. In my SaaS business, I have two employees. In my restaurant business, I have 400 employees. You know what I mean? In my real estate investing business, I have zero employees. I mean, I don't know, my real estate management companies, I have no employees. So, I mean, so it's very, it's very, I have a great wife. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But yeah. the thing is the restaurant industry is extremely difficult, but that's what's actually made me become a better entrepreneur because the restaurant industry and I'm franchising. So once you get to the level where you're franchising, it's all about process and procedures and systemizing the systems and delegation and everything. Because because you'll never get the franchising unless you perfect that. Although there's only 3,800 franchises in North America and 400 open a year and 400 close a year, but it's because they don't invest the time to create those processes and procedures. Yeah, I am a big fan of processes and procedures and automation. And I built the system that runs our company in Salesforce in 2013 before I had the idea of scaling and growing. And for anyone listening, I love to say this out loud. It has enabled us to produce 777 events wow. with two people in operations in one year. That's you great. understand the magnitude of that. But if you're not doing that, then you're just hobbling yourself, right? right. So the question about restaurants, I interviewed Josh Kopel, who's an EO member out of San Diego. And he said that restaurant net profit is typically in the four to 6% range. That's 10% really is, you know, like doing well. And <clears throat> why? I mean, it's different for you because now you have numbers, right? right? 
after like the third restaurant that you open, that's when things start to kick up. That's what I've learned. I could be wrong, but yeah. Talk to me about that. They don't Uh, know their numbers. (laughs) They're not focused on their numbers. I've been running 15 to 20% ever since I started the business. So EBITDA was always everything to me. Right. So how do you negotiate your contract? So a lot of people don't know how to negotiate, right? There. So a lot of people in our space, I buy from one vendor. I buy from US food for my restaurant business, right? But I negotiate my deals. I have more buying power buying from one vendor than I do from four. But an average restaurant guy will have four different vendors and he thinks he's scheming and trying to figure this out. But they just don't understand their numbers. And then location expenses and what are you doing? Your general expenses and controllables that you can control. You have to control the controllables. And that's what they don't do. And they don't focus on that. And, and then obviously marketing, so many people waste money on marketing. And a lot of things I teach is ROI first marketing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the outcome is going to be before you actually place the marketing piece? So there's a hundred different aspects why people don't make money, but four to 6% is extremely low. I mean, why be in business? You're not making money. Exactly. And that fail. was the question I asked him. So, I mean, he had a $3 million Michelin rated restaurant, but it was painful, right? It was painful. And so that's interesting. I think anyone listening that has a restaurant or a F&B business really needs to get a hold of you, but also <laughs> get a hold of their expenses, right? I was also thinking there's a lot of labor, right? That goes into serving people. Sure. And we complain as consumers about the cost of food and then the cost of tips. But I think in my opinion, and I'd love to know yours, is that we should be paying more for the service of great food being prepared and delivered to us. It's an experience. And I think it's changing the mindset of a lot of people to get there. What do you think? I teach it every day. It's the two things you said. There's one that's very valuable and one that's not. It's not really about the food. It's about the experience, right? So if I go to a restaurant and I have an amazing experience, I'll be okay with subpar food. But if I have amazing Michelin level food and the server's terrible, it doesn't matter. So it's all about experiences and enough businesses. And I coach a lot of this and we are all in the experiences. Human beings need experiences, right? During the pandemic, everybody's pushed at home and nobody's worked. Now everybody's like, you got to get back to work because we're human, right? So in that experience, so I teach experience. I don't have servers in my restaurants. I have experience creators. I'd make you crazy if you heard my restaurants. And like, even in construction, when I work with uh, architecture firms and I coach architecture firms, I'm like, you don't have designers, you have experience creators. Your designers need to think about what it's like sitting at the kitchen table. If you're that the client is sitting at the table, what do they see and what do they feel? Do you like the angle there? Is the window in the right spot? I said, but they don't do that. They sit yeah, there and design a house. Ratio, yeah, the height ratio of where you sit and where the table is right. is like <clears throat> so rudimentary. But if you get it wrong, it's miserable for well, where's the sun coming in? What window yeah. is the sun coming in? And how's it? Well, every time I have my coffee in the morning, the sun's in my face. Well, the architect should have thought of that, right? Because you do all these programs where you can see where the sunlight hits the house at what time of the day. And like all of a sudden you design a pool of the house and it's in the shade all afternoon. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, not good. Okay. I am really getting to like you even more and more and more. (laughs) So it sounds like you're pretty transparent. What are your net income targets for your various businesses? Do they hover around the same or like, is your SaaS business like blowing up at 60%? Oh no. I mean, SaaS is totally different, right? The profit is crazy. All the expense in the SaaS business. So if anybody's in the SaaS business, your expenses in the beginning. I spent $400,000 delivering a product and I don't have a lot of expenses going forward. And it's really built for the franchising space. So the cool part about that SaaS company is if you have a franchise model, I come to the franchisor, I build it for the franchisor and then I'm done. I'll do another thing. 
because he takes that system and he moves it everywhere else. So the SaaS is totally different. You know, the restaurant space, I'm looking for that 20% EBITDA. I'm driving for it every single day. And that's after royalties, you know what I'm saying? So it's not a job. It's a career for people. Construction, obviously, in retail and in rental businesses, you're looking for at least 10% to 20%. But it's a slow burn because there's an equity game there as well. You're always looking for equity, right? In real estate, it's not just always the cash flow. Although you need the cash flow when you're in real estate, when you're investing in real estate. A lot of people say, hey, I own 20 rental properties, but they're not making any money. They're gaining the one piece of it, though. But the other piece is you need the cash flow because you never know where expenses are going to arise and what you're going to have to. But you also are playing the equity game. And equity is a hammer. I love equity. I mean, equity is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> because it gives you leverage when you're getting a loan or when you're doing anything. But your revenues, you need to set those goals and parameters, what your expectations are revenue, and then hit them and then set them higher. And then once you hit them, set them higher again. But people need to dive into their business and really dig in and really look at all their, their core expenses that they can affect. I agree. So, okay. You had mentioned about winning a prize for the best concrete home in 2020. I tried to Google search it. I want to see it. How can I find it? Go under ICF awards and go on 2020. Okay. So ICF insulated concrete forms. So I'm building another, I'm building a 15,000 square foot one right now. It's going to be cool. I'm going to try and win 2022 with it. So. Where and what is it for? Are you going to move for in? For a customer? No, no, no. It's for a customer. <laughs> I build custom homes all the time and do a yeah. lot of construction like that. So it's really cool though. It's 15,000 square feet. It's badass. Are you building these companies with the exit in mind? Oh, heck yeah. I really wasn't thinking about that. But basically, I have six companies that I'm working real hard right now that are all coming on a train track to one station right now. And I've been working it for 30 years and they're really like all coming on the train track. But eventually, I hope to be within a year speaking all over the world and at least the country. And then after that, just my businesses will be on autopilot by then. I've got some really good talent around me that my businesses will be able to survive. Like the R word never, I mean, that everybody said, when are you going to no. retire? It'll never happen. I don't I'll think never. that would be a healthy choice for you. It won't. I'm a caged animal if I'm bored. Like I start reading books. My family's like, oh my God, stop reading. Because <laughs> they were like, what am I going to open next? You know? So yeah. like I'm getting into solar now. I'm getting into wind technology. I'm working on these things called uh, sockets, like an internet hub and working on connectivity and creating job force, uh, workforce development. So I'm doing a couple other fun things. Okay, you're into everything. Are you in the NFT space yet? Are you looking at cryptocurrency? Oh my God, I hate that stuff. But I looked at Bitcoin 14 years ago and drove my POS company crazy because I wanted to take this new thing called Bitcoin. I want to take this. This is like electronic. I can pay electronically on my phone. And they told me I was crazy for about six months after making them crazy. And I just left it alone. But you know, I never look back. I always look forward. And I wasn't meant to. I was 40 cents when I was looking at it. And I'm like, I don't look at it that way. I don't look at my life was meant to be. If, like I told the kids the other day in class, I said, if I wouldn't, they all asked me about Bitcoin. And I said, if I would have invested in Bitcoin, I would have never been in this class today teaching you. I said, so there's a reason in my life that I never look, I never regret a day in my life. Yeah. You're staying in your lanes of not only experience and expertise, but your interest, it sounds like. Right. I right. love, I need stimulation. I told you I have to be moving. 
So like even like talking about these wind turbines that go on every light post all over the world, they're a horizontal light wind turbine. They're made in England. They're not even really in the country yet. But like doing something like that is is so rewarding for me because we're, we're saving the environment. It's a phenomenal business. You can help young people that are getting killed with electric bills. They put one of these in their backyard. It's awesome. We're on their building of the house and they're saving all this money. And it's just a fun new business. And that's what I need. I need that. Yeah, I'm getting from you that like the businesses and the way you live your life is like it's gaming, right? <laughs> you're playing a game and you're winning a lot, mostly, hopefully. Yeah, sure. And you're also changing and affecting positively the world, which I assume makes you feel good about the legacy sure. that you're building. Sure. I am definitely not profit or power driven. I am growth driven, 100%. I don't know, like growth is everything to me. If you want to say what drives you, it's success, it's growth. I want to just keep growing. I want to be better than yesterday every single day of my life. So I, I lean forward. I don't have a rear view mirror in my car. I just don't look backwards. Not that I don't take what happened yesterday and create a solution with it, but I never look back at it ever. I'm always moving forward. Tony talked about why he started so many businesses, the EBITDA he's looking for in each business, and how he's trying to impact the world positively. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. 